TYB On The Run with your host, Katie Halday. This is your daily Bible blast, the perfect fit for your busy life. Just one chapter, one revelation. This will change your life. TYB on the run. Well, welcome to Luke 4. Let's jump in. How good is it being in a gospel, the story of Christ? This is what it's all about. So Luke 4, Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answers, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished um, all this, he left him until another an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue. As was his custom, he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All who spoke well of him were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was sent was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Seraphath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them were cleansed, only Nahum the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. We're going to stop here, TYB, because um, we've got so much that we can take out of this, just this first part of chapter four. How amazing is it just being in the story of Christ? Now, can I say again, this is not fiction. We are not reading Lord of the Rings here. We are reading the Bible and the Bible shows us the truth about the story of Christ, and especially in Luke, because we know that Luke 
is an orderly account from all different eyewitness. So what he's done is he's gone around and interviewed all the people that actually saw this and he's giving them, you, you've got a collection of eyewitness accounts here. So let's have a look at um, the beginning of chapter four. I love this moment. It starts, Jesus comma, full of the Holy Spirit, comma. I love this moment where Jesus, Luke focuses in and says, this isn't just Jesus going into the wilderness on his own here, guys. I'm going to show you. Luke says, I'm going to show you that this is Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that this Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is very prevalent across Luke Acts. We know Luke Acts, again, is um, is one, two texts, two books, but one volume. They're meant to be read together, what Jesus did and then what the disciples did. So this beautiful moment where Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how is he filled with the Holy Spirit? Because we know in chapter three, he got baptized, the baptism of Jesus. And at that incredible moment, heaven opened up and you can go back to Luke 3 and the um, TYB on the run of Luke 3, heaven opened up and we have this incredible moment of Jesus being baptized and the baptism of Jesus. So we know at that point, the Holy Spirit is is upon Jesus. And we love this moment, full of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you think that your next step is to change the world and to preach and to do all these incredible things. But isn't it amazing that the first thing that Jesus did when he gets baptized he gets baptized and then he gets sent into the wilderness. It's kind of like when you get that amazing prophecy from the prophet. And I remember somebody saying this to me, and I'm not saying discourage the prophet speaking to you, but when you get that prophecy, sometimes that prophecy is to for you to hold on to that prophecy because you're going to go about to go through something that completely contradicts that prophecy. Sometimes the word of God comes in at that moment so that you've got something to stand on as you were going through this trial. And this is what happens. Jesus is anointed and we're going to have a look at that in Luke 3. And we we kind of come out of that and he's full of the Holy Spirit. Now that's only the first, you know, five words of this chapter. So we better keep going. Um, Full of the Holy Spirit. So I love this moment. Guys, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what Luke Acts is saying. Jesus didn't do this on his own. If Jesus doesn't do it on his own, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be in communion with the Holy Spirit, walking alongside the Holy Spirit, saying, Holy Spirit, help me. So if full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, imagine this moment where he's being now. The language of wilderness, don't just... Don't just New Testament that, okay? Don't just go, oh, wilderness, you know, he's been led. Wilderness, we're going back to the Exodus account, okay? We're going back to this, we're going back to the Pentateuch. And where, how many How many days was he in the wilderness? For 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. What Christ is doing at this, at this incredible moment is he's not just, he was led by the Holy Spirit to do this. He's just not just going into the wilderness for temptation's sake. He's not just going into the wilderness to to make sure that he can overcome the devil and keep going. This is this is a purpose-built mission. When he's sent into the wilderness, he is actually reversing the 40 years that the Israelites are in the wilderness. How do I know that? Because the language is very much similar. The language is the same. The three things that he that he is challenged in this time period, which we're going to go through, are the three th- things that have challenged the Israelites in in the wilderness back in um, you know Deuteronomy, Exodus, and nu- Numbers, and all the Pentateuch. So we've got Christ almost being the the second Adam again. He's he's the last Adam. He's the one that's reversing everything that they did wrong and setting a new establishment. Because I know, how do I know this? 
because he is about to choose 12 disciples which replace the 12 tribes. It's kind of like this beautiful parallel of the Old Testament and the New Testament and the New Testament kind of revealing and reversing it. It's really cool when you read it like that. So he ate nothing during those 40 days, so he's fasting, and at the end of them he was hungry. I love this. Luke is all about tactile feels emotions and he's like look he was hungry which is just the practical moment of Jesus he's when you're hungry you're going to want things when you're hungry you're going to do anything to to get food right you know the Israelites were whinging in the wilderness because they oh god we're hungry and god gave them manna and so you've got this again think wilderness Israelites compared to what Christ is doing the devil said to him If you are, can I say, T-Y-B, if you are, that is the job of the devil, to question your authority, to question your identity. Every time you hear those words, if you really, if you are, you know that that's going to be a Satan Satan moment. If you are the son of God, can you hear that Satan is questioning Christ's identity right at the very beginning of his mission, right at the very beginning of his baptism. He has just had 30 years in waiting and he's about to step into three years. And the first thing that Satan does is he questions, makes Christ question his very authority. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, again, bread, manna, we've got this moment where where um, Satan is saying, oh, just create your own bread here. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Did you notice that he doesn't actually come back and say, did you, he doesn't use his own words against the devil. He doesn't say, how dare you say, even though Christ's authority, he has every right to, to use his own words. What he's doing is he's establishing a platform for us in the future. And what he says is when, when he's questioned, when his identity is questioned, what does he use? The word of God. Guys, when your identity is questioned, when when Satan tells you you're worthless or when Satan tells you you're nothing or when Satan when when you get thoughts in your head where where you feel like your identity is being questioned, the very weapon that Jesus used is the very weapon you need to use and that is the word of God. Don't use your emotions in those times. Don't use your own words in those times because the word of God is the weapon that you use when Satan questions your identity, okay? So this is what Jesus did and I love this moment. So the the first um, series or the first test is done. He says, if you are the son of God, produce, make this stone into bread. And he says, no man shall not live on bread alone. This very moment where in the Israelites, they, they wanted manna from God. What they should have done was realize that man does not live on this bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place, showed him an instant, uh, in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. Um I love this moment. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. Is that amazing? Stop TYB and just think about that. Satan is so arrogant that he's like, well, I have all the kingdoms of this world. And it's right because it says, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone because he's looking at the kingdoms of the world. See, the second test for for Christ, first test was his identity. The second test is which kingdom is he pursuing? Is he going to go after the kingdoms of this world? But Christ knew that he wasn't going after the kingdoms of this world. He was going after the kingdom. The king above all kings is who Christ is. He was going after the kingdom of Satan. He's going after the top. He's like, yeah, you know what? You can go after these kingdoms of the world. I'm going to take over your kingdom. And I love this authority that he gets. 
um, if you worship me, it will all be yours. Again, Israelites in the wilderness, the golden calf, the sin of the golden calf, they worshipped it. And now we've got this again, this quest for power and this quest to be have all these kingdoms. And Jesus answered, it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That was the response and should have been the response of the Israelites. But again, Jesus does the right, right way. And even when he's tempted, even in the wilderness, he's hungry. He actually um, has this incredible moment where he does it right. So the devil then leads him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Again, he's questioning his identity. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Now, how amazing is this? Satan then quotes the Bible. Isn't it the scariest moment on the planet when you realize that Satan knows the Bible? If you don't know the Bible and he knows the Bible, you're in trouble. (laughs) This is why it's all about Trash Your Bible here, guys, because we want you to know that you have to know the Word of God better than, than your enemy. And it's quite scary here because Satan says, it is written. Ah. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to your test. We have this battle, this incredible battle going on. I love this moment. I love this. And the next, um, it says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Isn't it amazing? Like the, the word of God says, the devil prowls around like a lion waiting for its prey. And I love this moment where Jesus, reverses the Israelite uh, wilderness for 40 days Christ was in the in the wilderness and he filled with the Holy Spirit overcame the enemy by the word of God can I say guys I heard somebody say to me once oh if you've got the Holy Spirit you don't need the Bible and you know me that was just the most stupid statement to say to a Bible teacher let's be honest and I genuinely try to tried to be nice and I, I remember saying how about both you know, how about how about like in Luke 4, we are spirit-filled, but we are Bible people. How about how about we have both? How about we have this incredible power like this when we walk into situations where the enemy comes against us, when we're facing things that that we've just been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and we were sent into this this trial. In the trials, know this: you have you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you have a weapon in your hands. You will not be overcome. You are more than a conqueror because you have those two things together. So let's keep going. Um, four fourteen. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Let's all live in the power of the Spirit. What does that mean by in the power of the Spirit? I'm going to break that down because sometimes we can get super spiritual about that. In the power of the Spirit means that on a, we, we're kind of allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to infill us. Every morning I'm like, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh, guide me today because the Holy Spirit is God on earth here. The Holy Spirit is the one that guides us. He leads us into truth. So the Holy Spirit is, is not just a a wind or a breath or a dove as we see him in the text. The Holy Spirit really is your best friend in this journey. So he's saying in the power of the Spirit, be clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Oh, my gosh, what would it be to be sitting in one of those teaching sessions? And they don't know at this point who they're like, wow, this carpenter's a good teacher. Imagine three years later or Actually, maybe 10 years later when they realized who they were sitting listening to teach. I just love that moment. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue. Okay, so he's gone home. He's done 30 years um, in this moment, and 
30 years quietness, just preparing his heart before God to, for this ministry. He's baptized. He's sent into the wilderness. He's kind of done an exodus. He's come out of the waters of baptism, which we had a look at in Luke 3. He comes out of the waters of baptism like the exodus account. He reverses that. He reverses the wilderness experience. And he does the test right. Now he's going into the next step of being a light to the Gentiles. That was the, the, the cry of Israel. That's what Israel was supposed to do. They were supposed to go through the Exodus account knowing the power of God. They were supposed to go through the wilderness with every test knowing the power and the authority of God. They didn't. They ended up turning to golden calves and they failed most of those tests. That's why they didn't go into the promised land because the promised land was the greatest test of how big is your God. And because in the wilderness they didn't, they didn't learn how big their God was, they couldn't take the promised land. Crazy moment, guys, just quick thought. In the wilderness moments, that is your greatest moment to find out how big your God is. When you are going through the trial, when you are going through the test, don't whimper, don't, don't, oh God, what are you doing? No. Find out and know and stand in the authority of how big your God is and it is in that authority that you will walk yourself into the promised land. And the Israelites didn't didn't learn that, so they didn't do it. And then we have this moment where Christ is now saying, I'm going to be the new Israel, I'm going to be the new people of God, which is what I'm forming here, and I'm going to tell you the mission that the Israelites should have done. And we have this at the end here. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Oh, I love that. Church isn't a burden. Church isn't something that we do on a Sunday. Church is our custom. That's that's what we do. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Again, my little brain goes into this moment of, how did the person know to hand that very scroll to him? Was it pre-set up? Was it just ordained by God? But there's this beautiful moment where he unrolls the scroll, Isaiah 61. Oh, now, guys, TYB, stop, breathe for a moment because this isn't just, now we know that Luke is a, a Greek history text. What does that mean? We're looking at a hero. We're watching this hero grow up. We're watching how he gets formed and fashioned into the hero. We're, we're watching how his opponent, the devil, and who comes against him. And now we're watching this moment. The first time that the hero stands up and gives a speech, not just the first time he speaks, but the first time he gives a speech in Greek history text, that is his mission. The, the speech isn't just a, hey, here I am. The speech portrays the mission of the hero. Okay, so in a Greek, Greco-Roman history text, we are waiting for the hero to, to present his mission, and we have it here. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. I love that declaration. It is not maybe, it's not if, he knows the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I love this moment where Jesus, his mission is all about outside. His mission is the spirit of the Lord is upon me because I've got something to do. I've got to preach good news to the poor. I've got to set the captives free. I've got to see sight for the blind. I've got to, all these beautiful outside. And this is the mission that Luke now says Jesus does in the rest of the book of Luke. He says, this is what the program of Luke Acts is. 
Jesus sets the captives free. He he goes after the poor. Now the poor is not economically poor. Remember I said that it's marginalized. Anybody who is outside the main main um, people, the main popular people, Jesus goes after them. I love this. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, "Today this scripture is fulfilled." All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? Very hard to get over this moment where you've grown up with somebody. James, Jesus' brother, Jude, Jesus' brother didn't believe at this point because they couldn't get over the natural moment where they grew up with this man. The same here in Nazareth. We're going to have to overcome this moment where, hey, aren't you just that? No. In the beginning of Luke 4, his identity was questioned by the devil and he says, no, I, I am. He didn't say, oh, if if you are the son of God, oh, no, I'm not the son of God. He knew who he was. And again, now the people on the outside are questioning his identity. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in hometown what you have done in Capernaum. I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Why? Because they don't know who he is. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He's saying, guys, if you don't believe who I am now, you won't see the power of God. TYB, let me say this to you. If you don't know who he is in truth, then you won't see his miracles. Why? Because your eyes won't even be open to it. If you don't know how powerful your God is, you won't expect that power to come into your life. You have to know who your God is. And this is what he's saying here. Let me say it again. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath. He's saying there is greater faith outside of Israel which is heartbreaking. There were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Again, Israel's sin was that they did not know that Jesus Christ was the son of God walking amongst them. Same with Elijah, same with Elisha. They didn't respect the authority and power of what was amongst them. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the hill. I've seen this hill, guys. I've been to Nazareth and seen this hill that they're about to throw him off. It is horrendously high. But listen to this. In order to throw him off the cliff, they're so disrespected by him. Isn't it amazing that one moment they're like, oh, well done. We love what you said. And then he questions them and they're like, throw him off a cliff. Oh, aren't we like that in our churches? One moment we're like, yes, you're amazing. And then, you know, something happens and we're like, crucify him. We've got to be better than that in our in our congregations. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. There was something about Jesus at this point that God was going to save him, not even, and he knew in Nazareth he was going to be persecuted. But again, he knew his identity before Satan and he knew his identity before his the people that um, disrespected him. You have to know who you are. You have to know your identity. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You have authority in Christ. You are more than a conqueror. And Luke 4 shows us that Christ, through this beautiful moment, had to know who he was. 